Hey everyone, Bethany here. And before we get into today's episode, I wanted to take a moment to acknowledge the egregious and disgraceful and honestly racially traumatizing um, events on Wednesday as Congress was working to certify election results. As many of you probably know, I'm a group of, um, I don't know, terrorists, insurrectionists, um, of fellow citizens at the very least. Um, a group of people stormed the Capitol, and um, I don't presume to know what they were thinking or why they were there, but that did happen. And um, I know for me, in my home, with my family, it was a pretty painful experience, um, especially seeing just how much brazen white supremacy and, um, and, and violence was on display. And so I just want to encourage you to take care of yourselves, um, to Make sure you're spending time doing things that renew you um, with loved ones, resting, playing, um, and yeah, rest up and be well. And when you're ready, let's let's keep working to create not only organizational cultures, but a, a society um, where we dignify, where we dignify all people and um, where we heal from racial trauma and where we dismantle systems of oppression. So without further ado, Welcome to the Diversity Gap Academy. Welcome to the Diversity Gap Academy, where good intentions meet true cultural change. My name is Bethany Wilkinson, and I am your host. Hey there, good people. I'm Bethany here. I hope you all are doing so well at the start of this new year. Um, I was reflecting over the weekend, um, over the holiday weekend, and gosh, it really felt like I was limping into 2021. I, I guess I hadn't really processed just the toll of the year. Um, I, I, of course, like everyone, I, I've known that it's been a really tough year. I've felt it, observed it. Um, but something about when the new year struck, I finally sat down and was like, whoa, last year was a lot. It was so much. And so um, if you're like me, just now beginning to really reflect on how 2020 impacted you, I hope that you're doing okay. And if you are limping into this new year, know that there is nothing wrong with you. You are so normal. Um, and if you are also like me, actually really excited about some projects and things you've got going and excited about the reset, maybe you got yourself a new planner, a new calendar. Um, I hope that you feel encouraged and um, and that you're able to celebrate easing into this new year. So that's just my way of saying Happy New Year, wherever you are, however you're feeling, know that it is normal and you're not alone. Um, so yeah, welcome to another episode of the Diversity Gap Academy. And this is cool because I feel like this is, well, not I don't just feel like it. This is my first real non-trailer episode, um, we are kicking off a series on culture, on organizational culture specifically. And over the next few weeks, we're going to get into what is organizational culture, why does it matter, um, and what does it have to do with our diversity work. And so today is the first part of that. But before we get into the details of organizational culture and kicking off the series, I wanted to share a few updates that I think are noteworthy. The first of which is 
is that earlier this week on Tuesday was the official launch of the Diversity Gap Academy. Um, I had been quietly and secretly churning away. Um, churning is a funny, a funny word for me to use, but I'd been working on the Diversity Gap Academy for at least a few weeks um, in terms of this particular project and company and its expression. But as I got into it, um, into adding the copy and picking out pictures and creating a marketing calendar, I realized that, golly, really, this is the culmination of ideas that I've had for so many years. I mean, so many years, going all the way back to 2014 when I launched my first blog, probably prior to that. Um, I'm really excited about this about this organization because I believe that there's so much good that we will do together as we learn and as we grow. And it was just a real treat to finally put it all in one place and to send that off into the world earlier this week. Um, my favorite thing or one of my favorite things that happened was um, I guess I sent the email at like 8.30 a.m. or I scheduled it to go out um, 8.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And one of my good friends, her name is Marge, um, she texted me, uh, I don't know, an hour, hour and a half later to say, hey, it looks awesome. We're excited or I'm excited. And um, and she used the word or she pretty much said like what's so great about this is that for people and for teams who don't have the resources to hire a full-time diversity person or who don't have the resources to hire a consultant all the time, this really makes organizational change accessible. And when she said that, I was so grateful because I was like, yay, everything I wrote and came up with translated. That's exactly what I had in mind. I want organizational change. I want racial justice education. I want these things to be as accessible as humanly possible to everyday people who are living their lives, taking their kids to school, leading their teams, going to the park, dealing with hard stuff, going to therapy, whatever it is. Like I want everyday people to have access to the content, ideas, and community that they need to participate in the creation of more diverse and liberating cultures. And so I hope that as you check out the diversitygapacademy.com, um, explore the different offerings there, consider how you might get involved. I hope that it feels accessible to you. Um, I hope that it feels lightweight and energizing, um, but also meaningful. And so that happened earlier this week, launching of the Academy. And the two other noteworthy updates I want to give are in relation to that. Um, the first is that there is a membership community for the Diversity Gap Academy on Patreon. Now, Patreon is something I've known about for a long time because I'm a patron of a couple of communities. One's a musician, one's a um, a, a podcasting team, um, which I might talk more about later. But I'm sure that it's a new platform to many of you as well. And so what I've done is I've posted a few a few audio things, um, a couple of PDFs, hopefully, if I have time to get those up. I want to post a couple of PDFs. I'm going to start posting some free content over the next week or so so that you can just get familiar with the platform. I would encourage you to download the app. Um, that's really the best way to engage. There's like a a feature called Lens, which is really similar to Instagram stories um, that'll let you access some behind the scenes content as I'm creating this work. Um, but it's also a way for you to get additional, just additional information. So earlier today, I posted um, a mini cast, I guess a mini podcast on creating organizational assessments prior to launching your diversity program. And so if you head on over to the Diversity Gap Academy and the Patreon page, you will be able to access that assessment 
thing that I shared and um, and I just hope that that resource and others will be helpful to you. So check those out. They're all free um, and they're just they're just there for you. So I hope that they're helpful and I'll post a link to that in the show notes as well. And then the second update that's noteworthy is that on Tuesday, I think it's a Tuesday, it might be Wednesday, on March 9th, I am hosting my first workshop of the year on moving from diversity to liberation. Now, the framework that I'm going to share during this workshop has been the single most helpful framework I've been able to share with leaders over the past six months. Um, I have interacted with so many people who really just don't know where to start or they've started and they struggle to track their progress. Are we making progress? Are we not? The other really big tension that teams face is that different people within an organization will have really different ideas about what success looks like. So for one person, it's all about representation, getting a diverse group of people in the room, and that's important. But for other people, it's really about liberation, anti-racism. And it doesn't matter how diverse the room is, are we as an organization proactively dismantling systems that are oppressive? And so when you have those two people in the room, it can make it really difficult to have a meaningful conversation and and much less to actually start moving in the same direction. And so this workshop will give you language, questions, containers um, to really help you begin talking internally with your stakeholders and your change work about, hey, what are we actually pursuing here? How long do we intend to pursue this track, this course of action? When do we gonna, when do we change? How do we deal with the fact that we have different expectations? Um, this workshop from Diversity to Liberation will really equip you to to do that. And so I hope you'll sign up. Um, you can learn more about this event at uh, the diversitygapacademy.com slash events. And there are only 60 spots. I really wanted to be able to serve this group of people well. And so um, be sure to sign up, get your tickets today so that you're able to be a part of the conversation and to learn this content. So those are all the things to kick us off here. Um, And let's transition into talking about organizational culture. Okay, so to kick this thing off, there are two things I want to share. Um, And again, this is going to be part of a series. So this isn't the only two things I'm going to share, but it's the two things I want to share for this episode. The first is a story and the second is a framework that's been really helpful to me over the years. So the story. Um, A couple of years ago, I was really desperate to plant a fall garden. Um, I am married to a farmer and an expert food grower. Um, He's remarkable and really, really good at plants. I guess you would say he has a green thumb. Um, But I really wanted a fall garden and I was just really set on making this happen. The only problem was that the house that we lived in at the time, it was a little duplex. Um, it didn't have a lot of sun access in the yard. So both in the front yard and the backyard, there just wasn't a lot of sunlight. And my husband, over the course of our few years of living there, had tried growing things in almost every corner of this particular place. He tried everything. And he would pretty much concluded like, yeah, you can grow like a few greens, maybe some herbs here and there, um, like culinary herbs. But that's pretty much it. Like there's not enough sunlight to really get like high volume production of tomatoes, peppers, even large leafy greens like collards or lettuces. There's just not enough sunlight. 
But I was determined. I was like, babe, you know what? We can figure this out. He and I met growing food and gardening and farming. I'm like, between the two of us, we can make this happen. I don't care what the sunlight's doing or not doing. We can figure it out. And so he being the kind man that he is um, and probably just smart and trying to keep the peace, um, we bought the seeds and the seed trays and the seedling mix. And he helped me plant them. And we built this little like greenhouse-like contraption with an old shelf. And we taped this plastic on it and... It was a whole thing. Um, But he helped me build it. And we started hundreds of seeds, hundreds and hundreds of collard seeds. And I think I had some other greens, maybe some kale or spinach or something. And even though the seeds sprouted, because for those, this might be too much information, um, pretty much you just need a lot of heat to get the seed to sprout. Um, Even though the seeds sprouted, over time, they got really leggy. And what that means is that they started to grow and stretch towards the sun. They were trying to stretch towards light because they did not have enough sunlight where they were positioned, which is exactly what my husband told me, but I didn't listen or believe him. And so as the seedlings stretched out more, they just got really strained and we weren't able to get any seedlings that could actually go into pots or go into the ground. And we thought that we might be able to transfer them to my parents' house. That wasn't going to happen. So Long story short, we ended up giving the seedlings to a friend who farmed nearby and had plenty of sunlight access in order to make these seedlings become actual plants and then ultimately food for consumption. So why do I tell that story, especially in this conversation about organizational culture? I tell that story because it perfectly illustrates that you can have all of the right tools. You can have expert support. You can have the right ideas. You can have metaphorically, you can have all the right seeds, seedling, mixed soil, whatever. You can have all the right stuff for diversity. But if the conditions are not right, if the sun's not right, if the soil's not right, if you don't have a good watering regimen, keep going with the metaphor here. If the conditions aren't right, it doesn't matter how good your tools are, how good your resources are, how good and effective your consultant is, because your culture is the soil in which your diversity will or will not grow. This whole story is to illustrate that you do not want to underestimate the power of the right conditions. And this entire series that we're about to get into over the course of the next few weeks is all about creating the right conditions for diversity to flourish. Um, For many years, I worked in um, like the social impact startup scene and really loved it and learned so, so much. I mean, so much. The the Diversity Gap Academy exists because of so much of what I learned working there. Um, But interestingly, while I worked there, I also got like a front row seat to the cultures of so many different kinds of organizations from ones that I actually knew personally and then ones that I just read about in the news. And a few years ago, maybe a couple of years ago now, there were a couple of stories in the news that really caught me off guard. Um, One was like a large like luggage retailer company and some stuff had gone down on Slack and this woman's employees were like, cancel her. I don't, I literally don't remember enough of the details to give you more than what I'm telling you right now. Um, But pretty much it was became, it was made apparent that this was a really toxic work environment because of ways that this particular leader displayed their leadership in that season for whatever reason. And, and it was to her demise as a leader. And I was like, oh man, that's tricky and messy. Um, And there was another story around that time about a media company. And similarly, a lot of the people of color in that organization 
kind of spoke out and were like, hey, this has been a really toxic workplace environment. Our boss thinks he's with it, but he's not with it. Um, He's actually pretty racist and offensive and causes a lot of harm in his natural leading style. And and it's interesting working with startups because there is like this tenacity, this intensity, this – this aggressiveness that's required to get a venture off the ground. And I don't deny that at all. Um, And yet some of that tenacity or tenaciousness, whichever word it is, can also be really harmful to people um, in the grind to make things happen. It's so easy to commodify people and take advantage of them and to be really extractive of them and their gifts and all these things. And and it's interesting because I'm willing to bet that those organizations that I saw those news stories about, um, and there were so many others, I'm sure you can think of a few in your own orbit. Um, whenever I step back from those stories, I just think like, man, I bet that organization had a really cool DNI statement, <laughs> or I bet they had really great intentions for diversity, or I bet that they thought they were doing the right thing by hiring this person of color to lead this or this person of color to lead that. Um, little did they know that their workplace culture, the stories, the behaviors, the habits, the values, um, the ways of communicating, little did they know that those things would ultimately cut off any of their diversity work and much less... Uh, and eventually their equity work, it cuts it off at the knees because if the culture is not healthy, if the culture is not right, if it's not, not that it has to be perfect, but if it's not a good place um, for diversity to thrive, then it just won't work. And so I'm I'm honestly still thinking about this a lot, learning a lot about it. Um, and some of the ideas I'm going to share here, I they're new. They're new for me to share, not new for me to think about. Um, but I hope that you will learn with me. What does it look like to create conditions where diversity can flourish, uh, can flourish, where diversity can flourish and thrive. So that's the story that I wanted to tell. Um, the second thing that I wanted to share is a framework called the culture cycle. And I want to share this up front because we're going to return to it at different points in time over the next few weeks. And the culture cycle is a really simple idea. I highly recommend that you Google it. I'm going to share some resources here in the show notes as well as via Patreon um, so that you can access those there if you want to see it all you know, written out. But the culture cycle is this idea about how culture happens. And there are three parts. Um, The first part is ideas. Um, The second part is interactions. And the third part is institutions. And so I'm going to walk through this pretty quickly because it's a really simple idea. And I hope that it gets some traction with you as you're thinking about your diversity work this year. So ideas. This is pretty simple. Um, Culture starts with ideas. Um, What we believe, what we think, um, how we see the world, what's true, what's not true, who's good, who's bad, who's the hero, who's the villain. There are these ideas, and then those ideas lend themselves to specific kinds of interactions. And so how do we relate to each other in light of these beliefs, in light of these stories, in light of um, these ideas about how the world works? And then those interactions lead to the creation of institutions. So um, our interactions and the ideas that underpin those interactions get codified into laws and into structures and, and into how institutions function. And then here's the really big part of all of this. Institutions then go on to share more ideas. And so this is why it's called a cycle, right? You go from ideas to interactions to institutions to more ideas. Now, um, one example that was really helpful in helping me understand this is um, 
the really bad idea, I would even call it an evil idea, that came on the scene pre-slavery, but um, but around that time. I'm not like a historian, but go with me here. Um, it was this idea that black people are subhuman, right? So um, this is obviously not true, but it was an idea that was believed and promoted. And that idea that black people are subhuman led to certain kinds of interactions, right? So if black people are subhuman, then it's okay to enslave them. If black people are subhuman, then it's okay to exclude them from civil processes. Um, If black people are subhuman, then we can treat black people in exploitative ways, right? And then those interactions get codified into institutions like slavery, like Jim Crow. And then those institutions go on to uphold those ideas in different ways. And so over time, the thread, this idea that black people are subhuman, it doesn't necessarily go anywhere. It's just that it transforms over time as the idea leads to interactions, leads to institutions that lead to more ideas. And so we end up here in 2021 with the need for incredible police reform, if not abolition, depending on who you talk to. And so um, so that's one idea that creates a cultural experience for black people in the United States. Beautifully, there's also the idea that black lives matter, that black lives are valuable, that black lives are sacred, that black lives are whole. Um, and we see that idea leading to new kinds of interactions. Maybe you're even here listening to this podcast because you had a sort of awakening over the summer of 2020, if not before then. And you're, and you're like, oh my goodness, black lives really, really matter. And we need to change all of these things to align with that truth and reality. The idea that Black Lives Matter has been so revolutionary because it has raised the bar of our interactions and it has said you can't relate to black people like they're subhuman because black people matter. We matter. Pay us what we're worth. Um, Treat us with dignity and respect. Hey, don't shoot us. Give us due diligence before the law like every other human. Um, Black lives matter. They're important. And so that idea leads to new interactions and a lot of the advocacy work that we see happening throughout our society and hopefully that you're a part of in some way is to see those interactions codified into institutions and then hopefully institutions the ones we're a part of included can then go on to further affirm yes black lives matter and so over time hopefully we'll see our society transform through these things. And so the culture cycle is a really powerful tool because when I think about your life, your work, your organization, I don't know all the details, but here's what I do know. I do know that if you have any degree of influence within your organization, you have the chance to share new ideas and you have the chance to amplify ideas that are dignifying, ideas that are liberating, ideas that, um, that can really lead to new interactions and hopefully a new institution altogether. It's just a really empowering framework that I find super, super helpful. And so those are my two things. Um, The garden story, do not underestimate the power of the right conditions. And then secondly, the culture cycle. And I guess my point there would be to not underestimate the power of good ideas to transform a culture. 
um, of liberating ideas, of dignifying ideas. And so over the next few weeks, again, we're going to get more into this organizational culture piece. We'll return to the garden story as needed. We'll definitely return to the culture cycle. Um, if you would like to learn more about the culture cycle, you can Google it. You can also check out some notes here in the show notes, um, and you can check us out on Patreon. All right, friends, that's all I've got for today. I will catch you next week. Thank you for checking out this episode of the Diversity Gap Academy. To support the show, you can subscribe, rate, and review. To learn more about the Academy, visit www.thediversitygapacademy.com. And until next time, may your good intentions for diversity lead to true cultural change.